Colossians. Uh, we got to chapter three. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, I have two points for tonight's sermon. Uh, first is uh, actually we'll get to the uh, to the points. Let me read the text first. So if you have a Bible, follow me along in the Bible. If not, just look on the wall. <laughs> Colossians three sixteen and seventeen. Paul says, "Let the word of Christ." dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God for the Father through him. So I said, <clears throat> I have two points. First point is, I want us to look at this statement from Paul. What does it mean, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? What does that mean? And then the second point will be, what's the fruit of the word of Christ dwelling in you richly? What's the, what's the result? Why is he saying that? So point number one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're going to look at three pieces in the statement. What does let mean? It's a, it's a command, first of all, right? It means permit. means allow. It means do not put up resistance. Now, let me ask you, <laughs> what do you permit into your heart? What do you accept into your heart every day? What do you allow to grow in your heart and produce fruit? Look at the parallel text. It's almost the same text. Just the command is different. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It says, be filled, right? A command, just like let. Now, is it the Spirit? Is it the Word that you permit into your heart? Or is it the world? What do you let enter your heart every day? You might not think it's serious, but it's a big question. And it's a big question because the outcome is enormous. Whatever you let come into your heart, find a place, grow and produce fruit, that's what is going to drive you. Do you let anger into your heart? I do sometimes. I can get angry. Small or big things. Do you let lust in your heart? Do you let 
fear into your heart. That's the worst. Either to live in fear of people or in fear of disappointing or in fear of, I'm never good enough. What am I going to do? Is that what's in your heart? Is, do, you lead, do you let that into Do you permit that into your heart? So as you can see, there's two parallel texts. When the word dwells in your heart, when the Holy Spirit fills you, what's the result? It's music. It's not fear. It's not lust. It's not pride. It's not selfishness. It's not anger. It's music. Music is never filled with those things. What else would be the result when the word of Christ dwells in you richly, if not worship? Right? And just another thing about letting. Letting is intentional. You set out every single day to let the world, let the word in your heart. To let the Holy Spirit fill you. It's intentional. Seek to have a worshipful heart every day. Seek that. Second thing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does dwell mean? It means find a home. It, finds, it, it means rest. It, it means um, find a good soil in which to grow. Is your heart a dwelling place for something? Are you even aware that there's something dwelling in your heart right now? Is the soil of your heart a welcoming home? What does it welcome? What kind of a home is your heart? What feels welcomed in your heart? Again, is it anger? Is it fear? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it the need to satisfy just to be looked at as great? Or do people feel welcomed in your heart? Is God welcomed in your heart? Can you say together with Paul, I have died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In me. In me. Is your heart a home for Christ and his spirit? Is Jesus welcomed in your heart? I said before, I hope you're aware that your heart is a soil. Something is welcomed and rules in your heart every single moment of every single day. Or is your heart a home that welcomes and is able to enlarge itself as a home? 
Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Is your heart wide open towards people and God or is your heart wide open to something else? And just please notice how beautiful it's said. Dwell in you richly. Not just dwell, not just sleep, not just rest, richly. Our lives should be the, the, the product or the rich product of God's grace working in us. Are we showing people the, the riches of God when we're interacting with them? You know that's what you're supposed to be doing? Do you know what the riches of Christ are? I don't have a slide with it. Joy. No, not joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. That's how rich God is. And please notice in the, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, they're not me-oriented, they're other-oriented. You love people. You're patient with people. You're kind to people. You're good with people. You're faithful towards God for people. You're self-controlled so that you don't kill people or lust for people. These are the riches of God. And that's what comes out of a soil in which the word of God or Christ dwells richly. And another thing about dwelling, it's constant. It is constant. When the word of God finds place in your heart, it builds a home And it doesn't just build a home, it makes it beautiful. When people come in, don't see you, see God. Because he made that home. How true should this be about families, especially? When two people come together to portray God to the world. Not just God, but the relationship between God and the church. How amazing is that? The, the dwelling, the abiding is a kind of resting, a kind of active resting. It's not just sleeping or resting, but it's, it dwells richly. The word dwells richly, working in you. You know what happens when the word of Christ dwells in your heart? It creates Christ in you. Remember that when you read your Bible in the morning. When that word that you read dwells in you richly, it creates Christ in you.
And finally, point three, under point one. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. <laughs> what is the word of Christ? The Bible is big. What's the word of Christ? Word about what? Which he said when? He said a lot of things. Now, here we have to get our clues from the immediate context in Colossians 3. And then I'll point out different other contexts as well. But let me read to you a few verses from before. Do you remember, by, by the way, do you remember Christian said that whatever you, wherever you are, whatever is happening to you, you are his full stop. You are loved full stop. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also, so you also must forgive. And then, I, I, I separated them just to emphasize the, the importance. And then in 14, he says, above all these, above all those things, you are chosen. You are loved by God. Um, you have the, whole, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in you. You forgiving others as you were forgiven. Above all those things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, at least for this sermon, but I believe it's a generally true statement that the immediate context tells us that the word of Christ means what, word, what Christ said about love, the way he talked about love and the way he portrayed love. Since he considers that above all things, all things, love should be the most obvious thing in, the Christians, in a Christian's life. Now, what did Jesus say about love? Let me point out, point out three statements. Number one, Mark 12. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love for God and people. That's, what the, that's the whole law. That's the whole Bible. Love God, love people. Extremely simple. Extremely difficult. In your own strength. But let's go on. Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Love makes you, helps you, enables you to do the impossible. Love your enemy. You can pray for your enemy. You can bless your enemy. Even if you don't want to, you can do it. Like, Lord, right now I'm praying for my enemies. And but you cannot love them. You will not love your enemies if the word of Christ does not dwell in you richly. And finally, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love as the identity of the Christian. The mark of a Christian. You know when, you're, when, you're, when, when it's raining outside and you have your shoes on and you come in, you leave marks. Because it's wet. That's exactly how it works with this. When you're a Christian and you love people, you leave marks because you can see them, you can feel them. If you don't believe that, come to me and talk to me after the service. I can give you other images. Now, do you see how radical that is? To love God to love people, to love your enemies, to leave marks in the world that you love God and mostly that you are loved by God. Do you see how radical his word about love is? And the question is, is this word dwelling in you? Not just resting in you, richly dwelling in you. Love is the greatest and most important commandment in the Bible. Love is the trademark of a Christian. Love is doing the impossible, loving the enemy. You know who the enemy sometimes is? Or in our sinfulness think it is? Our kids, our friends, brothers and sisters, our wives or husbands, unfortunately. When the word of Christ about love dwells in you, it creates the kind of love that Jesus had. Do you know who Jesus, whom did Jesus love? Bible study question. Whom did Jesus love? Enemies. That's it. He only loved enemies. Even Lazarus in John were told he loved Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were still sinful people, which made them his enemies. Right? Jesus loved his enemies. A love like this makes you love like Jesus. I hope you... uh, Another side statement. I hope you don't get this as... 
this is the sermon about love. It's not the sermon about love. This is a sermon about blood. This is a sermon about murder. Can you can you help me, John three sixteen? Can anybody say that verse? Have eternal life. He gave his only son. Gave him to whom? Do you, do you ever consider what Christmas means? Yes, it's beautiful. It, the, the world made it beautiful somehow. A, t- a different kind of beautiful than the Bible presents it. Did, did you ever read around the, the birth of Christ how much murder there was in that context? The first days of Jesus were just as murderous and bloody as the last, day, last days of Jesus. Think of this on, on Christmas Day. We simplify things so much. We have the tendency to simplify things so much. I believe because of our sinfulness. So that was point number one of the sermon. Point number two is going to go quick. The fruit of the word of Christ dwelling in the believer. Now, if you obey the commandment, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You will love like Christ loved. And there's going to be results. You know, when, whenever, again, we're simplifying things, unfortunately. And whenever we simplify the idea of love, it always feels like, ah, oh, romanticism, poetry, roses, chocolate, you know. But when it comes to God and love, it's not, it's not like that. You know, when Jesus says one time in Matthew, he says, the way some people showed love to him was by giving people water to drink. It's as simple as that. Or maybe as complicated as that. Depends on who you are. Now, in this text, four things are pointed out as results of... um, or fruit of the dwelling of the word of God in you. Number one is teaching and admonishing. Second, continuous singing. Three, thanksgiving. And fourth, glorify God. Let's take them each at a time, say a few words. Teaching and admonishing. Now, first, you will not be able to teach anyone anything about Jesus if his word does not dwell in you richly. I asked you at the beginning Um, what are you letting into your heart? That's what's gonna, that's that's what you're gonna teach people. Right? There's that verse in Proverbs. It's not in Proverbs. I don't know. Uh, Out of the abundance of the heart, the the mouth speaks. There's no, uh, there's not a verse that is more realistic than that. Whatever's in you, that's what's coming out. If there's darkness in you, darkness is coming out in different shapes if there's light in you 
that's what's coming out. And people see that, feel that. People have a nose for grace. You know, you know the grace of God has it in its nature, by its nature, it's made to be obvious. Just like the cross was obvious on the mountain, on the hill. Grace is obvious. And you know what grace is? Loving people unconditionally. When you teach people about grace, you, well, you cannot do it if you don't know grace. Number two. If the word of Christ does not dwell in you richly and the fruit of it are not obvious in your life, you will not be able to teach anybody about Christ. Because, honestly, why would they consider or listen, consider what you're saying or listen to what you're saying if the reality that you're teaching is not true about them? Think about it. It's true about anything, especially about Christ. If you're teaching people about poetry, but you hate poetry, it's going to be obvious. Right? Same in Christ. And finally, you cannot teach and admonish with the hope of glorifying God, as Paul says, if the word does not dwell in you richly. If what drives you is something else than by the word of God for the glory of God, you're only glorifying yourself at the best. You cannot teach anybody for the glory of God if the glory of God is not what you're looking for. Continuous singing. You know, I was, I was saying the last service, I was leading a service, and I was saying at the beginning, before Jesus went to the cross, with the 11, not the 12, the 11, because Judas was not there anymore, with the 11, he sang a hymn, a song. They sang a hymn. Even in those circumstances, knowing what's coming, namely betrayed, arrested, beaten, tortured, killed. Right? Even, know, even knowing those things, he sang. And that's why I believe this is not about songs, this statement, right? That statement. I'll come back to it. I don't want to go through all the slides. This is not about singing or songs especially. This is about the state of your heart. Do you have a heart that is ready to sing all the time? Or, even better, a heart that is singing all the time? Worship. It's about worship. That's it. It's the key word. When your kids drive you insane, the first thing in your heart is, Lord, I need to lean on you because I don't know what to do. That's a song. That's a song. Or, the other part, when everything is going perfect with the kids, don't just leave the singing out. Lord, thank you. 
Thank you. You made it good today. That's worship. That's the singing. It's also about singing and songs and melody, of course. That's what it says. My, uh, just one, one more um, note here. It said in the text that you're singing psalms. Now, if we would, I, I, I didn't do it this exercise. Maybe somebody else did. But if you look at the psalms, maybe half, maybe more are sad songs. Sad songs. God listens to sad songs in your heart. One of the fruit of having the word of God dwell in our hearts richly is thanksgiving. Um, Let me read what I wrote down one second. Through the power of the spirit and the word, we become aware of the price God paid, paid to make us his. The thanksgiving you bring is directly proportionate to how you understand the price that was paid for you. Let me read that again. The thanksgiving you bring is directly proportionate to how you understand the price that was paid for you. In other words, God gave his only son murder torture, blood, screaming. Actually, Christ did not open his mouth. Isaiah says. God gave his son to be murdered in your place. The murder of God, the murder of Jesus was the price. And now, the way you understand that as a small price or big price will generate the amount of thanksgiving in your heart. But do not forget, the verse 3.16, John 3.16 begins, but God so loved the world. What kind of a love endures infinite pain? It wasn't just, for Jesus, it wasn't just the cross and the nails and the blood and the whipping and the spitting and the hitting. It was separation from the Father that was even more painful. That's what cost God to love you. And so, by spending our hearts and minds in meditating about that, in the power of the Spirit, we bring thanksgiving to God. And maybe just a comment here um, about this. Um, as we become aware of the price that God paid for us individually, me, we become aware of the fact that he didn't pay the price just for me, but he paid the price for all people. He's precious for all people. I mean, he sacrificed himself to be precious for all people. 
And finally, number four, glorify God. This is short. If the word of Christ about love dwells in you and gives rise to fruit in your life, then your life will be so affected by that love, by that word, that whatever you do and whatever you say will be changed, affected by that reality. Everything you say and do will be marked by the love of Jesus and by, the, and by that God gets glory. And finally, conclusion. In the form of questions this time. What do you permit in your heart? What rules in your heart? What kind of home is your heart? What is the fruit that the word of God creates in your heart? Based on what are you teaching or admonishing others? Is your heart in a continuous state of worship towards God? Are you continuously thankful for the great love God manifested for you when he gave his son? And is the glory of God your daily goal? Let's pray. Father, we don't, we don't measure up for any of this. But Lord, we acknowledge that you loved us and we acknowledge that we believe in you, Lord. We thank you for Christ and we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the amazing price that you paid for all of us individually and as a group, your church. I pray that your word, the word of Christ will dwell in me and in us richly to produce fruit that not just glorifies you but shows the world how good you are, Jesus. Help us do that in the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Amen.